The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Hi, it's Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast, where we talk with people who are shaping Charlotte. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. And if you like our newsletter or this podcast or both, how about telling a friend about us? That's how we grow and can do more. Our guest today is Sherry Chisholm, the Executive Director of Leading on Opportunity, which is an initiative based at Foundation for the Carolinas that works with many community partners to improve economic mobility in the Charlotte region. That has certainly been a hot topic locally in the last few years with a lot of Charlotte's biggest companies and foundations and nonprofits working on that issue. And we're going to explore that a little more in depth. Sherry, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. All right. So you started with Leading on Opportunity in September of 2020. There was a lot going on in 2020. It must have been an interesting time <laughs> to, to start there. But you know, a lot of the work in Charlotte on economic mobility predated your arrival. And I, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on the topic of economic mm-hmm. mobility, but I was here. And if, if it's all right, I'd like to start maybe just by sort of sharing my impression of sort of how the ball got rolling on this. And you can tell me if I'm off base. Does that sound okay? That works. Okay. So my general understanding is that that basically there's been an understanding in Charlotte and around the country that some segments of our society are not thriving at the same rate as other segments of our society. And Charlotte has long had a vision of itself as a new South city, a growing dynamic place. You know, we've got the Carolina Panthers. We've got the Charlotte Hornets. We have these brand new bank towers and apartment mm-hmm. complexes, a city on the move, a world-class city. And all of that, that Charlotte's self-image, as far as I recall, it, it took a hit in 2014 with this study by Raj Chetty, who was a Harvard economist. And he came out with mm-hmm. a study that said that, that found that it was a long, longitudinal study mm-hmm. that said that the poorest children in the Charlotte area moved up to the top 20% as far as income over a period of, I think it was 15 or 20 years, that only mm-hmm. 4.4% of them made it from the bottom to the top. So that raised some really mm-hmm. big questions about poverty. And, and Charlotte, by the way, was 50th out of 50. That was sort of the big mm-hmm. headline. It was like, we're the worst in the country at economic mobility. And there was really a wake-up call, I think, for Charlotte, really lit a fire under a lot of organizations and companies and nonprofits, because it implied that there are a whole bunch of people who are born into poverty and are essentially staying in poverty. Mm-hmm. And that was a big problem. And it, was, and it very much differed from the story that Charlotte liked to tell about itself. Mm-hmm. How mm-hmm. am I doing? Is that correct? That's exactly right, Tony. You, you hit the nail on the head. You, the plain language would say, you know, economic mobility is the likelihood that you're achieving better financial or economic outcomes than the generation before you. And so in Charlotte, we were dead last on that list that Raj Chetty released. Albeit unfortunate and very disappointing news, it should not be surprising if we understand the history that Charlotte is based in. And so you started the conversation talking about me coming to Charlotte in 2020. And I think it's really important to just give a quick snapshot on my family's journey and then how it compares to many families here in Charlotte. So I am originally from Detroit. My husband is from Detroit. We grew up together. What that means for most folks of our generation, particularly Black Americans, is that the generation before, and if not that one, certainly the generation before them, so our grandparents, 
came to Detroit as a part of the Great Migration. So my family left rural northern Alabama to come to Detroit as a part of the industrial boom with Ford Motor Company. So in hopes of the American dream or in hopes of economic mobility without that language, they had to leave their home where there was no economic opportunity for them to come to the North to achieve that. And really, in a lot of ways, my family achieved that. My grandmother's generation, my grandfather worked on the line with Ford. My grandmother was a teacher's aide. Next generation, my mom was a teacher turned principal. I spent many of my years leading large urban school districts as chief of staff, chief strategy, yada, yada, yada. So every generation, we were doing better. And there was the same hope, I think, for folks who had come to Charlotte or even continue to come to Charlotte for those economic opportunities. Two generations later, my husband and I came to Charlotte for that economic opportunity that we didn't see happening in Detroit as a result of recession policy, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. People in Charlotte who are from Charlotte are experiencing those same challenges that my grandparents experienced in rural Alabama, where they see opportunity around them, but they don't have access to it because of their lack of education, lack of access in terms of transportation, not having the right job. And what the task force really so eloquently lifts up, not having access to the right people in terms of their social capital to gain access to those places that are outside of their everyday. And so while Charlotte is all the things that you mentioned, unfortunately, those opportunities are only available to those who have a certain status, so have achieved certain income, certain education. And oftentimes when people of color are achieving that, it's folks that come from other places to Charlotte to work for institutions that enable that. Right. I mean, the question is, so how do we encourage the, you know, that, how do we make sure that Charlotte is growing in a way that everybody can participate in that economic growth, right? Mm -hmm. And so it seemed like what happened after this study came out is the city formed a task force. You mentioned the task force. They came out with a report in 2017 with a bunch of recommendations, strategies. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just a couple of people. This is a lot of Mm buy-in from the community, a lot of community leaders, banks, you know, foundations nonprofits, government, so on. So they came out with a big report. You you came in in 2020. You're in sort of an execution phase, I think, of, of sort of, of getting it done. How exactly are, right. How are we doing in, in executing that and in making some progress, you know, on, on this issue? Well, I think first, you know, as a community, we need to applaud ourselves on the community-wide effort. But we've heard from the folks out of Charver, Raj Chetty's groups at Opportunity Insights, is that Charlotte is leading the way in terms of taking action on the results in the Chetty study. So we are the only community that has developed a dashboard that we've now branded the Opportunity Compass that can measure our progress since the task force report was released. So one thing to be real is unfortunate, but we need to be aware of is Chetty will never release another study. He has said that. So we know that on the first study, we're 50 out of 50. There will never be another study to tell us that we've moved our ranking. So we need some data for ourselves to tell us if we're making progress. So at the end of last year, we released the Opportunity Compass that measures each of the key determinants of economic mobility. So that's early care and education, college and career readiness, family child stability, segregation, and social capital is soon to come. So now we can measure instead of an overall 50 out of 50, where are we in terms of our commitment to community based on all those things that were outlined in in the task force report? And so what the data is showing us, which is a combination of community voice as well as quantitative uh, countywide data that we can access from a variety of public sources, is that we've made some incremental progress, which is what we would expect at this point. You know, we are on a generations long journey. So we've made incremental progress towards improvement. 
and we know we'll always be on the journey. So now we're leading on opportunity is now that we have this compass is we built a tool that we don't want to only be for curiosity's sake, but we want the business community and funders to use that tool. So now we're in the journey of helping folks utilize the tool in their investment decisions. Well, that makes sense. So you mentioned several of the different focus areas. So in things, so you're, you're tracking statistics in each of those areas, you know, early childhood education, career training, segregation, awareness of segregation, and trying to remedy, you know, the effects of segregation, child and family stability, those, those sorts mm -hmm. of things. Is that, those are, are those the kinds of the five, yeah, the, Yes, the five key buckets of economic mobility as defined by the task force you mentioned are early care and education, family and child stability, college and career readiness, and then the two cross-cutting factors, the impact of segregation. So you're, if you are impacted by segregation, it's more difficult for you to achieve economic mobility. And then the other cross-cutting factor of social capital, who is in your network, it can help you gain access to those resources. The stronger your social capital network, the easier it is for you to increase your economic mobility. That is how we're defining economic mobility for Charlotte. And then the compass has then been aligned to those five buckets. So we have measures of success overall for each of those five buckets. And we have a specific determinant. So if you click on a bucket in the opportunity compass, it'll tell you specifically what makes up college and career readiness, graduation rate, college persistence, et cetera, et cetera. We have measures of success on all those indicators. But it just seems like such a big issue that you're it's dealing huge. with these intractable social, you know, circumstances that go back decades from housing patterns to legacies of discrimination to, mm -hmm. to school assignment, family structures. How do you move the needle forward? What's the strategy for making progress on each of those areas? Well, I think first is acknowledging that we will be on this journey for a while. I think it, you know, in a, in a business or in a banking or finance town like Charlotte, we're used to looking at results quarter over quarter. This is a type of work that happens quarter century over quarter century. And I know that that may be uncomfortable for a lot of folks to, to settle into, but to first understand that this is not destination work, but journey work. And so leading on opportunity with that understanding has then set about developing tools to help folks do that work more effectively. Knowing that there's no silver bullet, how can we get smarter at the work that we're doing? And so now that we've developed the compass, we're now taking the compass and using it with a select group of corporations to help them evaluate their investments over the course of the past two to three years. So let's look at leading on opportunity, look at everything that you've invested in a community over the course of the past two to three years, help you map that to the compass. So you can say we've over-invested here, under-invested here, or maybe just right to then make decisions about where the next layer of investment should go. You see, you know, a lot of times things get really hot. They get a lot of attention. And I know, you know, eight or 10 years ago, this was a really hot topic. Do you still mm -hmm. feel as though that commitment is there from leader, corporate leaders, from civic leaders, you know, to the, like it was years ago, or does, or does the attention sort of fade as time goes on? And it's a constant challenge to keep saying, Hey, this is still a problem. This was a problem 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and it's going to be a problem 10 years from now. I mean, how do you keep the focus? How do you keep it moving? I think it's hard to. A lot of communities get initiative fatigue. I was not here in 2017 when it was the big public launch of the task force report. And what I understand, it was one of the biggest launches ever in terms of corporate and community focus in Charlotte. What I can say as someone who entered in 2020 is the community was still holding that same sense of urgency, curiosity, 
community will. Where we were struggling with is the how, which is why we really frame this the execution phase. I don't think that there's any less emphasis or interest in doing the work. People just want to do it well, right? We want to make sure our dollars are being invested, our time is being spent well and towards a particular outcome. So where we really focus is on creating the tools to help people do that work and building coalitions among folks who are doing the work so that we can work collaboratively and reduce that fragmentation and confusion that often exists when we're taking on big community issues like this. Do you ever get discouraged at the pace of change? Sometimes. I think that anyone who is in this work at a regular cadence will have moments of discouragement. I think that for what, what I come back to is my individual leadership style is knowing that the seeds I plant today may not reap fruit for two or three generations from now. And I, you know, take that back to my own personal story of my grandparents taking a big risk. Never did they imagine I would be in this position living in Charlotte doing this work. And yet it's true. And so I think it's, you know, remaining committed today, but working for outcomes for the okay. future. So what are you learning? What are the funders, what are you helping the funders learn with the Compass? What, what are some of the takeaways that they're picking up? Well, okay. Well, we're in process right now. So there are two components of our project, which we're calling Dollars to Drivers. How do you make sure your dollars are aligning to the drivers of economic mobility? One is an assessment of their portfolio. So just like any your own personal portfolio, we're helping them understand what that mix should look like based on the current state of economic mobility here in Charlotte now. In order to be able to do that, nonprofits need to be able to align their programming to the compass. So we're meeting with nonprofit partners to help them further define their theory of action, what programming are they delivering, and then which of those five levers of economic mobility are they most directly impacting? Then we can go back to the funder and say, if you're interested in investing in college and career readiness, early care and education, here are the types of organizations you should be investing in, and here's where the need is. I'm just also curious, after the George Floyd death, there was a lot of focus, corporate focus on you know, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. There are some of those initiatives, do those help toward these economic mobility initiatives? Is there overlap there? Is that helpful or is that a, a different that of, of I would say, really say I would say it doesn't arm D D E and I or DEI in belonging does not hurt economic mobility for the work of leading on opportunity. What we remain focused in are those economic outcomes, and what we know to be true for Charlotte and many other regions in the South and the United States that most directly impacts generationally Black individuals and then Latino individuals who are recent Americans. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the map, I think the Chetty map, mm -hmm. I mean, the South doesn't come out looking that great. I mean, it's not, and just to be fair to Charlotte, it's not just a Charlotte problem. It's a, you, you know, Atlanta, you know, you look at much of the South and they're dealing with a lot of these same, exact same issues. And um, Yeah, if you go deeply into the Chetty study and what he's often talked about before is when you look at the regions or the cities that ranked at the bottom of the list, there are those that are living the legacy or the the harsh reality of the impacts of slavery. So most communities that rank in that lower quarter of the list are the South and Southeast states. Right. And it seems like partnerships are a pretty big deal on, on tackling this issue. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the, the different organizations that are doing work in Charlotte on some of these areas? Sure, especially Center with Leading on Opportunity. Like you said, there have been several initiatives that have come, have come out before Leading on Opportunity and since. And we saw it as our responsibility to align our efforts as best as possible. 
So I would say our foremost partnership now with another community organization, if you will, would be the Charlotte Executive Leadership Council or the CELC. I'm sure many of your listeners know it's our roundtable CEO here in Charlotte. And so they are now just about a group of 40 CEOs who've come together to decide what are they going to do from a business perspective to improve community outcomes. So we've partnered directly with them. We are sharing, they've decided to own the compass as their primary measurement tool. And we're also working together with them on our Dollars to Driver initiative. And we take this as a huge step forward in creating a partnership where we are moving in the same direction and we don't have competing interests to your question before. I think in a city like Charlotte that rallies around the most urgent issues, sometimes it can feel like a lot of movement or a lot of action, but not a lot of movement. And we want to get to a place where we're doing things that are moving us towards our intended outcomes. What can you tell me about your team? I mean, how big of a team do you have? What do they do? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. I think they're in part my favorite portion of my work. So the Lead In on Opportunity team was completely rebuilt after I came in at the end of 2020. And it was my goal to have a team that reflected the fabric of Charlotte. And what that means is natives, newbies to Charlotte like myself, racially, ethnically, and economically diverse, because that was the intent of Leading on Opportunity. So now we're a team that is focused on strategy, policy, and data. That's the expertise that my team brings forward to help, again, those direct service providers and funders So we have a a strategist on board. We have someone who leads data. We have a policy and community advocate on our team. We also have a Davidson fellow on our team and someone who leads operations. And then we supplement the support that we need on the team with interns from Charlotte. So right now we have three interns on our team, all who either are from Charlotte or have connections to it working together. And then You didn't ask me this, but I want to make sure to add it, is what I talked about in our values of reflecting the fabric of Charlotte, that we now can say that's true of our council, or most folks will call the board for leading on opportunity. It's made up of all five college presidents, our government heads. It also has a diversity of corporate leaders, as well as grassroots nonprofits leaders, community or neighborhood association presidents, all coming together collectively to solve economic mobility. Sherry, I'm also interested a little bit in in your story. How did you get into this work? Yeah, so I share my my personal journey to this point. In terms of my professional background, I started my career in corporate consulting, which many people would not believe. I started at Deloitte Consulting right out of undergrad, had a lot of passion and heart for education, but quite honestly, not a lot of skills. And so started at Deloitte, where I had the opportunity to work on large government contracts with large corporations like Coca-Cola and AT&T, where I was helping them take ideas and transform them into action and outcomes. So once I had that skill set, it was time for me to go back into the community space. So I left Deloitte, went to get a master's in education from Harvard, where I was interested in how do you bring corporate and community partnerships together? That took me then to district work, where I worked in districts in LA, in in Atlanta, and in South Florida, where I was leading large districts. Think about strategically, how do you move major initiatives? And then my husband and I reconnected after many years, and we knew that we wanted to come back south to continue to grow our family and to experience the benefits that we know are here in Charlotte and to do that work on behalf of those who may not have access. So It was a windy path into this point, but I think when the council brought me on, they thought I was the right mix of corporate experience as well as nonprofit and government knowledge to bring all those pieces together 
as we partnered across the community to do this work. And what's your impression of Charlotte? You've lived here now almost three years. What's, how, does it, how is it similar or different from where you've lived in the past? I think first, it's just very fascinating that people ask me that often. You know, I have lived in Detroit. I've lived in <laughs> South Florida, in LA, in Atlanta, and similar community roles. And everyone, no one has ever asked me, so what do you think of this place? And so I don't know what that means about Charlotte, but people ask me that often. I find Charlotte to be a place that is very inviting. So as someone who's from Detroit, the very insular city where people care about where you went to high school, I find that Charlotte to be very welcoming of new folks coming and interested, who as long as you're interested in moving Charlotte forward. My husband and I bought our first house in Charlotte just a couple months ago, which has really made it seem more like home. We feel really grateful to be here. You know, I think now we've been here long enough that we can say, it's somewhere that we will be staying and we still want to continue to work to make better. It's interesting that you point out that people ask that of you a lot because I do think there is this element of Charlotte where we're always sort of like, are we good enough? Do people yeah. live here? <laughs> yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah, they don't do that necessarily in Detroit or New York. No, Detroit Nobody does says. not care if you like us. If you don't like us, leave. <laughs> That's a very different culture. <laughs> and as far final question. So as far as it relates to economic mobility, what is the outlook? I mean, how where are things heading? Are we moving the right direction? Are we going as fast as we need to go? Yeah, I would say I'm positive about the outlook. I'm particularly impressed by the results that we saw in the first four years. So the work that Charlotte was doing before the pandemic hit, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the pandemic and the impacts we know it has already had. And the data will soon reflect on things like healthcare, housing, and education. This is where we need to rest into the journey mentality. Like I told you, I spent many of my years working in K-12 public education, and I liken it to the board versus board, Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. That, you know, desegregated schools, schools were completely desegregated to the 1980s. And we're still seeing things progress. And I say that to say, this work takes time. And so we've seen positive advancements. We will see some dips in the data and then we'll see some peaks in the data. And we just need to prepare ourselves for that to continue doing the work that will always be necessary. And if someone is really passionate about this issue, how could they get involved? I think the best way to stay on top of what's going on with Lead In On Opportunity now is to follow us at leadinonopportunity.org or Lead In On Opportunity on any social platforms. We update the community on everything Leading on Opportunity is working on. And I think even more interesting, other things that are happening in community that you can attend, learn, or participate in. Great. That's all the questions I've got. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tony. It's been great. Thank you, Sherry. And thank you to our listeners. The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Queen City